Happy Father's Day! I seem to be stuck. Open your Bibles to... No, I'm kidding. Oh, good morning, church. Good morning, Hills family. How are we doing today? Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. I'm disrobing. Don't mind me. I want to welcome our campuses right now. <laughs> Good morning, Old Town. How you doing? Uh, I'm super adrenal jacked right now. So I'm like, Good morning, all our campuses. Um, <laughs> Good morning to Old Town. Good morning to Larry Street. Good morning, Pastor Scott in Novato and that crew up there. And good morning to our online community. I'm going to calm down now. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, everyone. So I got to tell you the story behind that. We, um, years ago, when I, when I first started here, um, Pastor Steve and Shirley, we were talking about this auditorium here. And Shirley had said, you know, one of these days, you're young enough. Steve's not doing it. He'll die. Um, but you're young enough. You could rappel down the catwalk on a Sunday, like on a Father's Day. And I was like, oh, that sounds super fun, right? And that's a value at this church is we want to have fun. But I thought to myself, like, oh, I'll have to organize that. It'll never happen, right? So I was just like, oh, good. Yeah, sure. Maybe in the future, probably never, right? One of those things. And then this year, um, a couple of staff grabbed me and they're like, hey, we've got someone that's going to teach you how to repel. You're doing it on Father's Day. I was like, oh no, we're really doing this? <laughs> so that was it. So yeah, I did it now. Next year, I'm going to be a pinata and the kids are going to hit me with bats and I'm going to give candy out. So, so bring a friend. We do stuff like this on Father's Day. How, some of you are like, why don't you do this on Mother's Day? Here's why. Mother's Day already second best attended day of the year, right? Everyone comes. We do this to create FOMO because Father's Day, they're like, let's barbecue and watch the U.S. Open instead. So we want to we wanna create some FOMO. So you, you want to come. Um, guys, I want to encourage you before we get into God's word. Um, at this church, there's all kinds of great things that God's doing. But one of the things that um, is near and dear to my heart, and I, I, I love, um, our ministry at Tulare Street. You have to understand something. We, we just finished a year-long, year school-year-long reading program on the west side. It's just, you know, maybe half a mile from downtown Fresno um, in one of, one of the, the tougher areas across the street from section, section 8. We're just, and everyone told, told us, you know, like, oh, you can't send a suburban church down there. It won't work or whatever. And that crew at Tulare Street um, they serve that community so well and so, so hard. And it's almost like missionaries. They fly over a tribe and they drop gifts on them and they love on them. And then they come and visit and they draw, give them more gifts and they bless the tribe. And eventually the tribe says, move in. You're one of us. And that's one of the things over the last year and a half, two years now, we've been trying to do at our Tulare Street campus. And one of the things that is huge that we do at the beginning of every school year, is we want every kid in that part of town, in that area, to wear a brand new pair of shoes to, to school. And we collect 2,000 pairs of shoes for all the kids in that area, that they could wear a brand new pair of, pair of shoes to school. And that is a powerful thing that you guys, you're being the church does. Your giving, your generosity, it does that. And it, good deeds, when done intentionally, can lead to great news. 
good deeds lead to good news. So we have bins in our um, uh, hallway and all our campuses where you can uh, go, you know, if you're at the store, buy a brand new pair of shoes. They don't have to be Jordans. They could be though. You could bless a kid. You might start a fight at the giveaway, but, um, <laughs> and drop some shoes in there. Buy a hundred, put them in there. We're trying to collect 2,000 in the next month, which is crazy. Some of you are like, I don't got time for that. Cut a big check, pour money in there. I don't care. We need to get the shoes and we need to bless the kids. Can I get an amen on that? So kicks for kids. Some of you, um, I would encourage you, some of you, maybe you want to serve it that day. You want to talk to Pastor Brandon, shoot him an email or whatever. It's an amazing event. um, And it's just something as a church, it's us being the church. And I love it. And we get to really support our Tulare Street campus. Amen? Amen. Because here's the thing. We're the Hills family. This is how this works. Right here, this is Clovis Hills. Clovis Hills, Old Town. The Hills, Tulare Street. The Hills, Novato. The Hills Online. This, we are the Hills family. And this is how, that, how it works. We're one church. We're many congregations. We're all over. We're everywhere. Okay. So today we're going to talk about um, the blessing of the Father and what a blessing is in the Old Testament. I don't have a scripture reading for you today because I'm going to give you an overview of the book of Genesis from Genesis 1 to chapter 49. And I didn't want to read that whole thing to you because I know you have barbecues in the U.S. Open after this. (laughs) So um, I'm going to orally kind of tell you the story of God from Genesis 1 to 49. Um, And there's different themes in Genesis, but one of which is blessing. And I want to talk to you about what that means, what blessing is, what the Father's blessing is, um, how you're blessed to be a blessing, all all, all of that. So let's just, we're going to start. Henry Cloud is a psychologist, um, Christian psychologist. And um, he, he, you know, w- when you work in the mental health field, you deal a lot in transformation. But as a pastor, that's, that's what we deal in. We're trying to make disciples of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that as you become a disciple, God is making you new. The old is gone, the new is come, or the new is coming. And God is shaping Christ in you. And it doesn't happen overnight. But here, here's what happens. Henry Cloud came up with this great equation that I love. And if you can ever apply, apply to your life, and it's this, it's transformation, we have that equation, equals grace plus truth plus time. And I'll get into what that means in a little bit. But tr- if you want to be changed, you want to become more like Christ, you, you want to be the person that God has really designed you to be, you need grace plus truth plus time. And, and we'll, we'll get to that. In the book of Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? Genesis 1. And God um, lays it out in this way. And in Genesis 1, it's actually written in a poetic style. Uh, some scholars think it might have been something that was passed down orally over the years that they would sit around the campfire and um, the, the storyteller would say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was, it's good, Okay. Right? They would say it was good, right? And then he made the sky and the, and the, and the ground and it was, right? And then he made the, the birds and the animals and they were, it's good, right? On and on and on. There's this cadence to Genesis 1. And, um, and you, if you can picture, right, you know, Moses around the fire and they're listening and he's telling this and, and it's almost like a song. It's almost like a chant. It's, it, it's something they're all participating in. It's good. But Here's the thing, when God 
calls something good, he, in, in, in the Bible, he is blessing it. That's what to bless something is, is this is a good thing. So when God makes the earth and he says it is good, he's blessing it. When God makes the Sabbath and says it is a holy day, it is good for you to rest. He's blessing our rest. Can I get an amen for rest? Right? So whatever God calls good, because whatever God speaks happens. Right? Now, I told Shirley Davidson 11 years ago, like, yeah, one of these days I'll come down on a thing. I didn't really think it was going to happen. But when God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So when God calls something good, it is blessed. It has no other option but to be blessed. If God curses something, it has no other option but to live in that curse. So in the Bible, here's what happens. Adam and Eve are blessed by God. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And he blesses them. But when Adam and Eve sin and they disobey God, they invited in sin, death, destruction, dysfunction, all of that into the human race. It comes into the planet. It comes into, into creation. It comes from whatever dimension it was into ours and it becomes a reality. And from Genesis 3 on, God, give, God tells Adam, hey, because you sinned, because of that, there's a curse upon you. Now, because you disobeyed me, you ate the thing. I told you not to do it. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to toil all the days of your life. And you will work and you will work and you will work by the sweat of your brow and you will toil. And re really what was going on is God was telling men, do we have any men in the room today? Yeah, yeah. the last service they were like, yay. Um, <laughs> God was telling men, because you've sinned, you're going to try and find meaning in your career, in your work, and it will be empty. And you will chase it, and you will chase it, and you will succeed or succeed or succeed, but it'll never be enough. And then he said to woman, because, because, of, because you have sinned, um, you know, they begin to talk about pain and childbirth, and then the Lord created the epidural, and women rejoiced on Zion. And <laughs> Kidding. Kidding. Some of you are like, no drugs! Okay, I get it. I'm going to get an email from one of you. I know. Okay. It was a joke. But he, but, but he goes on to say, and your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And sometimes the men are like, yeah, amen. Here's, I, I want you to understand really what's going on there. To the original reader, they get it right away is for women in general, they will try and find meaning in relationships, in relation. And men will exploit that. And now all the women are looking out of the side of their eyes at all the guys in the room going, yeah, turkey, I see you. So Adam and Eve have children and, and you get to this place in Genesis chapter 12 where you get Father Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. We should have done that song for a worship song today, right? Okay, if you don't know it, super funny VBS song. Anyways. So Abraham, God promised him, you'll be a mighty nation. You'll be, and he was telling him, you're going to be Israel. My people are going to come from your family. The Messiah, the Savior of the world is going to come from you. And Abraham was, one of the things I love about the Old Testament, what I love about the Bible in general, is it never paints these people perfectly. 
It shows them in all their sin, all their dysfunction. It shows the courage they have, the faith they have, but it also shows how much of a hot mess they were. And there is no different. After Adam and Eve, all the families after them are a hot mess. Relationally, they're screwed up. Cain tries to kill Abel. Um, Noah and his sons. And oh, th- 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 some gross stuff happens. I mean, Genesis is literally a Jerry Springer episode of dysfunction. It's not an episode. It's a season of it. Okay, it's just on and on and on. You get to Abraham and Abraham and his wife can't conceive. And in the ancient world, a common practice was if you can't conceive, one, it rendered the, 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 the wife useless because in, tribe, in, in a tribal setting, um, having children meant survival, believe it or not. And having boys meant survival. It meant another tribe can't come and kill you if you have enough boys. And women that had lots of boys were considered heroes because they were saving the tribe, right? Well, Sarah, the matriarch of this group, she can't have any children, let alone boys. And one of the practices in the ancient world is she was like, Abraham, I want you to take my maid, Hagar, sleep with her and have a baby. And if it's a boy, I will raise it as my own. And you know, Abraham was like, wait, is this a trick? I had a friend once, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, it was the weirdest thing. My, we were trying to figure out where to go to dinner and my wife goes, well, let's go to Hooters. And he was like, wait a minute. I'm not going there. And she said, you've chosen well. Anyways. <laughs> he ends up sleeping with Hagar and they have a son. And instantly, big surprise, Sarah is ferociously jealous. She hates the boy. She hates Hagar, the maidservant. There's this rift. She ends up eventually, because God had promised she would have a son, she didn't believe him. She ends up in her old age having a son. So now they got two boys. They've got Isaac, which is Sarah's son, and Ishmael, which is the maid's son. Ishmael, she hates him. She hates Hagar. She's so jealous. She knows he's the oldest. And in that culture, the oldest got two-thirds of the inheritance. She convinces Abraham to send Hagar and his son Ishmael off into the wilderness to die. And Abraham does. Just think about that. You think you had a bad father. Abraham could match up. Believe it or not, God rescues Ishmael in the wilderness and Hagar, blesses him and says, you'll be a mighty nation. Here's what I want you to understand. Geopolitically, all of the children of Abraham that came from Sarah, that's Israel. All of the children of Abraham that came from Hagar, the maid, that is all of the Arab world. How's that been going for the Jews? Yeah. Still struggling with family issues, right? So Isaac now, his son, he's cast that one off. He's abandoned that one. This great man of faith, right? See, you see the whole thing. See, at church, we just pre- pretend to be great people of faith and hide all of our ugly, but God sees it all and he just kind of exposes it in the Bible. And he shows, hey, Abraham's just as jacked up as you are. So this kid, Isaac, grows up and you know how it is, I'm, except most of the people in this service and at all the campuses, you guys didn't grow up in dysfunctional homes at all, right? 
No, high functioning, we all love each other, everything's perfect, we're all like, we've all got to put together. Wrong, right? We all come from dysfunctional homes to one degree or another, some worse than others. But Isaac grows up in this environment, what do you think he's going to be like? Yeah, so right away, Isaac has, has some sons, two of them, they're twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau's born first, he's kind of the, supposed to be the favorite. He, you know, Isaac loves his son Esau, the older one. He's like the manly son. He's like, you know, he plays sports, you know. And then Jacob was kind of the indoorsy type. And mom loved him. And we never have any like family issues between mom and our mom and dad's, right? And Jacob ends up lying to his father in his old age. His father's blind. He lies and he steals the blessing that was Esau's and steals his birthright and his inheritance and all of that. And the rest of Jacob's life, the, 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 the middle part of Genesis is describing this life of this guy, Jacob, who loves God, but is a total liar. Who loves God, but is a total schemer and conniver. I want you to think about that. Again, many times we just pretend to love God and we're like, oh, we're all actually not at the Hills family. You guys are all a bunch of filthy sinners. But anyways, and I'm the chief of them. But Church life usually is just pretending that you, you fixed it all. Which, which is not true. You're being made new. Amen. So God, throughout the life of this guy, Isaac, who has all kinds of issues, and then his kids have all kinds of issues, is, is trying to bring him along. And there's this moment in Genesis, uh, I believe it's 39, where Isaac ends up... I mean, Jacob ends up facing God. And it says he wrestles with this man and he wrestled him all night. And then a few verses later, it says that it was God he was wrestling with. And he's holding on to God and they're wrestling. And I, that sounds weird, I know. And he, and God says, let go of me. And, and, and he says, I won't let go of you until you bless me. And God separates his hip, dislocates his hip, maims him permanently and then it kind of, the story ends and you're like, what the heck? And the rest of Jacob's life, he walked with a limp. Random, right? So Jacob has these kids. And I don't, I don't know if you realize that he has 12 kids. One of them is named Joseph. And if you come from a jacked up family like Abraham's and then Isaac's your dad and his family's jacked up and he's an awful parent too. What do you think Jacob's going to be like? And Jacob has 12 sons. And he, of course, just like mom and dad, he had a favorite. His name was Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, you should see the play. It's very good. But he has these 12 sons and Joseph is one. And, you know, that's, that family is a paradigm. I mean, they're, they're so healthy. <laughs> if you don't know the story, Joseph is such the favorite of dad and one day he has a dream and he comes to his brothers. He's like, I had this dream that one day you're all going to bow down to me. And they're, you know, if you have brothers, you know, you're like, yeah, you're going to bow. And um, they were this dysfunctional. They, they captured him and they were going to kill him. And just say, oh, he got eaten by a lion. Instead, some Ishmaelites, family members, half-brothers, came by and they sold him into slavery. And he became a slave in Egypt. Long story short, famine in Israel. Years later, 
Jacob and all those 11 sons, they, they think that Joseph's dead. They have to move to, to Israel or to, to Egypt because there's no food. There's a famine. And they get there. And guess who's number two in all of Egypt and over all of Pharaoh's food resources? Joseph. And then Joseph smites them and kills them. No, he doesn't. He forgives them all. And we get to the end of Genesis. And here's this guy, Jacob, who came from a really dysfunctional family. He's a really dysfunctional father. And he ends up in Genesis 49, praying this blessing over all 12 of his sons. And I want to talk to you about what blessings are today. So number one is this, if you're taking notes. I want to talk to you, I want you to understand this, that blessings begin with the Father. This is Father's Day, okay? Um, You're supposed to be like, really? It is? Wow, thanks, Pastor. You've taught me so much. When I say Father, I, I, I mean Father in heaven, but I also mean blessings in, in a family, dads, they do begin with you. Like you have the incredible ability to be a blessing or not be one. And if you're not one, usually you're a curse on your kids. And look, look, what, look what God says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. It says, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing which the water teems that moves, that moves about in it. And according to their kind, every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. See, when God calls something good, it means he's blessed it. That, that's 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 really what it is. And I want you to understand something. There is a lot of power in the Father's blessing. But dads, there is a lot of power in your blessing. You have to understand that. There's something about the the heart of of, of a child, even an adult child, when the Father will look you in the eyes and tell you that you are good, that you are good at something. There's, and dads, I want you to understand something. I know we're not supposed to be emotional. We're supposed to be, ah, I cook meat and I'm a man. <laughs> Listen, you have to understand this. Not, not the, the kind of the halfway blessing like, oh, you, you know I love you. There is something incredibly powerful when you grab your child, whether they're an adult or an infant, and you look them in the eye and you say, I love you. You're special because of this part of you. This part of you is beautiful. It makes a, a child, an adult child, soar. There's something incredible. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of this part of your life. You don't have to be proud about all your kids' lives. My father was a Raiders fan. That's the reason I'm a Chargers fan. But you, you, you have to understand something. There's, there's power in a father's blessing. The other thing is all of it comes from the one, the father above. Every good thing comes from our father above. Every good thing you have in your life ultimately came from God. And you can say you worked for it and maybe you did work very hard for it, but who gave you the physical ability to work? Who gave you the mental ability to work? See, there's a thing, C.S. Lewis called it the greatest sin of all called pride. And what pride says is I did this myself. I didn't need God. 
but your, every blessing you have has come from God. Number two is this. Jacob, the guy I want to talk about most in this story of Genesis, he's a damaged father who learned to bless, believe it or not. He watched his father, his grandfather, he watched them bless poorly. In the ancient world, they would always bless the oldest or they would bless one and the other would serve the other. And, and there was favoritism always and there was all of that. And Jacob lived in that. He was that. He was deceitful. He was all that. But God was making him new. And he, this is the interesting thing to me about Jacob is when he wrestled with God, God dislocates his hip. He walks with a limp the rest of his life. And I want you to understand something about that. That was God's way of blessing him. Think of that for a second. He maimed him. Imagine if you came forward for blessings on Sunday and I was like, let me get the bat. Boom, you know. <laughs> but I want you to think of this for a minute. See, Jacob's, with the rest of his life, he walked with a limp. And how could that be a blessing? See, some of you are here today, you're watching today, and there's something really tough that's happened to you in your life. Many, maybe many things. Maybe there's an emotional limp you've walked with your whole life. Is the, the, the lack of a father's blessing or the lack of a mother's blessing. Or maybe it's a physical ailment and you're literally walking with a limp and you're upset at God. I understand where that comes from, but believe it or not, sometimes the very thing that feels like a curse, the very thing that feels like it just was meant to damage you actually becomes one of the great blessings of your life. You know, my, my wife, I, the, the other day we were in Yosemite. It was her birthday. It was her 50th birthday. So we, we went on a hike because what Kelly wants to do, Kelly gets to do, even if it's not her birthday. And so we went up to Yosemite and we were on a hike. And my wife, if you don't know the story, she has um, brain cancer and um, the right side of her body is numb. So she walks with a limp wherever she goes. She can't feel this side of her body. She has some neuropathy, all, all, all that going on. And I was, I was walking behind her as we went up this trail and I'm watching her kind of navigate the, the trail with that limp and, and that, that, that disability. And I began to think of, how she was not supposed to be there on her 50th birthday, that she was given nine months to live four and a half years ago. And then I started to think about that limp that she has. She wears a knee brace a lot and she, she limps and people that don't know her will always be like, oh, which ACL did you tear? Your MCL? You know, and then all of a sudden it becomes this conversation why she's walking with a limp. And then she begins to tell them about, oh, no, no, I have brain cancer. And then that's like a conversation killer. I was like, I'm so sorry, right? <laughs> you can't argue with someone with brain cancer either. You know, I start arguing with her. She's like, I have brain cancer. I'm sorry. <laughs> but... Then she begins to talk about how God has sustained her. She was supposed to be dead four years ago. That every day she has is a gift. And see what she did is she took her limp and she realized it can be a blessing to other people. And your limp, the things that hurt in your life, the things that have been painful, God doesn't always take them away. Sometimes he undoes them for good, to be a blessing to other people. And that's number three. You were made to be a blessing to other people. 
Henry Nouwen, I don't know if you know who Henry Nouwen is. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors. He was a Catholic priest. He taught psychology at Notre Dame. Then he taught it at Yale. And then he um, ended up teaching at Princeton and then Harvard. And he taught at Harvard um, in the late 70s, early 80s. And he wrote a bunch of books on spirituality. And when he taught psychology at Harvard, um, he actually to this day has the highest enrollment in the history of Harvard University. Uh, politicians, ambassadors from other countries, dignitaries would audit his class, this psychology class. They'd sit in the windowsills to hear him talk. And he would talk about how your psychology and your spirituality come together. And he would serve communion. In, in, you know, he'd come in his full priestly robes and he would serve communion in class. And he wrote all these books on being spiritual. And there, he was this incredible figure, advi spiritual advisor to presidents and to dignitaries and people all over the world. And he traveled the world telling people about how to be spiritual. And um, he was so busy doing that. At a certain point in his life, he realized he was a hypocrite. He goes, I travel and I write and I talk so much. I'm no longer spiritual. So you know what he did? Chair of psychology, he quit at Harvard. And he actually went to work in a, in a um, home for severely mentally disabled adults on a farm in Canada called Laarche. And the rest of his life, he lived on that farm and he helped adults with severe disabilities and mental disabilities. And he would speak on occasion, but whenever he spoke, he'd bring one of the, one of the people from the home he worked at with him. One of his favorite guys was a guy with Down syndrome, or I like to say up syndrome, named Bill, that would just sit on the stage with him and, and nod and amen him the whole time. But he tells this story, and by the way, if you want to, if you're not a, a reader, you should read Nowen because all his books are really small. Get him through them really, really quick. But he tells this story about um, one of the severely handicapped women at this home, Laarche came to him one day and said, Henry, will you bless me? So he did the Catholic blessing. I don't know what it is. I'm not Catholic. I've never been. But, you know, said something, put a cross on her head. And she goes, no, I want you to really bless me. See, she caught something. See, blessing is more than just a, like a superstitious thing, like to give you good luck. And he didn't know what to do. He goes, I did bless you. Like, that's what they taught me in seminary. You do the cross, you say something, you pray something. And she goes, bless me, Henry. And he didn't know what to do. And she just grabbed him and sunk her face into his chest and squeezed him. And then he just began to squeeze her and just hug her for this long extended time. And eventually he pulled her head away and she, he looked her in the eyes and just said, you are so beautiful. And I'm so glad you are my sister and I live here with you. You mean so much to all of us. I want that blessing. Don't you? See, this is the blessing the Father wants to give you. And he wants to give it to you, not so you can hoard it, but that you can be a blessed, you can be blessed to be a blessing. That, that, that you, when you are blessed by the Father and you realize it, when you're blessed by the Son and you realize it, you realize that everything you've been given is to bless others with. 
See, in a world that is filled with curses, that's all there is on social media. Talking about the other side and how awful they are and how godless they are or how immoral the other side is. And, and it's, it's a world filled with curses. We long for the blessings of the Father. And God offers them to you today, right now, in this moment. But you have to become a child of God. You have to be adopted into his family. And the Bible says in John 1, chapter 12, it says, but as many as received him, to those that have received him, to those that believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. See, God can't bless you fully till you become his child. So when you receive him, that's when you can get the blessing from the Father so that you can be the blessing. Many Christians, I'm going to be honest with you, they just get the blessing, put it in their pocket and go live their life. They're never much of a blessing to other people. If you are a Christian here today, I'm here to remind you, God put you here to be that blessing to other people, not to be a curse to other people, not to curse other people. We don't need to curse the darkness. It's dark enough. When you stand in darkness, light a match and be a blessing. But some of you here today, you don't know where you stand with God. And the Bible is very clear. The reason you don't know is because what the Bible tells us is that for the wages of sin is death, that our sin has separated us from God. You can't get the Father's blessing because, because of our sin. And God knew that. That's why he sent Jesus. He knew that no human, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he sent Jesus to live a perfect sin-free life in your place and die as a sacrifice on the cross in your place where, where the sin I committed is supposed to end in death and eternal separation from God. Jesus bore it for me. And then he rose on the third day. And the Bible says this, that whoever believes in that, that trusts that, will not perish and have eternal life, that you become a child of God. But here's, here's the thing. In order to get the blessing of God, you have to receive it. You have to accept it. He offers it, but you have to take it. It'll never be forced on you. And see, I love this. At the end of Genesis in chapter 49, Jacob, who's a hot mess of a person, but he loves God. You could introduce yourself like that from now on if you want. You'd be like, hi, I'm Sean. I'm a hot mess of a human being that loves Jesus. Um, he, God is bringing him along. And even in his limp, even in the things that are tough, God is bringing him along. And at the end of his life, he's about to die. And he's had all of this dysfunction in his life. He's, it's been modeled to him. Do you know what he does? He doesn't bless his oldest son. He brings all 12 of his sons together before he dies. And he says a blessing over every one of them. And then when he gets to Joseph, he stops with, jo he doesn't bless Joseph because Joseph's already blessed. He's number two in command in, in Egypt. He grabs his two, two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And, and you have to understand this. There's something that happens there that we read it and go, okay, he grabbed his grandsons. See, they were outsiders. They weren't Jewish. They weren't descendants of Abraham. They came from Joseph. But to be Jewish, you have to have a Jewish mama. And see, Manasseh and Ephraim, their mom was an Egyptian. Joseph grew up in Egypt. He married an Egyptian woman. These two boys were Gentiles. They were outsiders. And he, as he's praying this blessing over all of his sons instead of one, he says, bring me the grandsons. And they're like, they're outsiders. He goes, I don't care. 
See, you know what Joseph, um, Jacob learned? Jacob learned this, that God, the Father's blessings are always for the outsider. And you may have came here today feeling like an outsider to God, feeling like an outsider to faith. I want you to know something. God loves you so much. And Jacob, just like the Father, brings in the outsider and he prays the same blessing over the outsider that he did the insider. And the thing is, Manasseh and Ephraim had to receive it though. And they did. And they became part of Israel. They were adopted in. But as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. For some of you, I believe today is your day to do that. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, he said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. For some of you, this is your courageous day. In a moment, we're going to pray. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you've never received Christ before, to, to invite him in and become your Lord, to, to forgive you of your sins and, and lead you in a new life, the blessed life, the life with God. Some of you, let's be honest, that's a decision you made when you were younger, maybe 20 times. But somewhere along the way, your cheese slid off the cracker, right? That's happened to a lot of us, trust me. Maybe for you today, it's just a prayer of recommitment. You're re-upping on that. God knew that you weren't gonna be faithful to it. And here's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to be faithful because Jesus was for you. And then others of you today, you're just still caught up in your limp. And I get that. But I do know this. God has left you on this planet to be a blessing to others. And you could be bitter or you could get better. And that limp, whatever it is in your life right now, you could surrender to him and say, Lord, I don't like this, but I enter into it for your glory. Please use it. So wherever you're at, I wanna give you just a, a moment to talk to God. So let's just all bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's pray.